Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Hello and uh, and welcome to the That's What She Said podcast. Today I have Brandon Harvey and um, I'm so excited that I might explode. So hi. Hey, oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, You made me cry so hard. Uh, I shared the good newspaper, and then Brandon commented that uh, he thanked me for sharing his work and then said that he'd been following me since he was in high school. And I just, like, it still makes me tear up because I'm like, we do so much work in the world assuming that, like, no one cares and it doesn't mean anything. Um. And then to have someone that you admire to be um, that's just crushing it and that's doing beautiful work, just like pop up to say that you had any influence whatsoever, it's just such a an honor and a joy. Um, so thank you for that. Oh my gosh! Seriously, thank you. I uh, I was I felt the exact same way when you like shared about the good newspaper. I was like, how did how did Kristen like? the person I learned everything from on the internet, um, find out about this. Like it, it was such a cool, it was such a cool moment for me because, uh, I don't know when I, when I first started shooting photos professionally in high school, I, I think that I probably Googled like how to run a business or like how to run a photography business somehow came across, uh, what you were doing. You know, that's, maybe, you know, almost close to 10 years ago now, eight years. Um, yeah. And and I just remember soaking up everything. In fact, uh, I bet that if I, like, went through my, like, folders on my computer, I could find some, like, old PDFs from you. I could dig through my email, find some old emails from you. Um, the things that you taught me have been, like, hugely impactful in all of the work I do. And and I, I still think back to some of the stuff I learned today, even though it's so far from uh, the type of business that I used to be running, uh, the principles still remain the same. Well, thank you. It's, it's pretty rad. <laughs> so will you tell people about the good newspaper, which is um, just a stunning thing. So, Yeah, oh, my gosh. So the good newspaper is – a physical quarterly newspaper that's focused
focused on the good in the world. And it kind of came from this place of me just feeling overwhelmed and exhausted by the world. Um, and, and I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but I'm not somebody who often uh, feels overwhelmed and exhausted by the world. I'm a fairly upbeat human. Um, and so I was like, man, if, if politics, if division, if, you know, uh, injustice, if all of these things are, like, weighing on me this heavily, you know, what is that like for other people? You know, like, there, there's got to be at least someone else who's experiencing what I'm experiencing. And so I wanted to create a tool that uh, that ultimately helps fight back against cynicism, and, and maybe even more than cynicism, fight back against apathy. Because I think mm. that the easiest thing to do when you feel overwhelmed by everything going on in the world is to just check out, to be like, I am going to just watch, like, cat videos on the Internet, which I love, and I'm just going to pretend that all this stuff doesn't exist. But yep. I think ultimately that's escapism, and you don't get to solve any of the problems. And, and honestly, I don't even think it's fulfilling. Like, I think that you still have the same worry and fear. It's just not front of mind anymore. It's back of mind. And so the good newspaper is, is this actual newspaper that's filled with good news, but we're still talking about the injustices in the world. We're still talking about systematic oppression. We're still talking about uh, the global refugee crisis or ISIS. We're just saying, hey, where can we find the hope in these things? And then how can we join in and become a part of the solution? So that we're not sitting on the sidelines overwhelmed anymore. We're in the action, taking action. Um, and uh, I think that that makes a huge difference personally and then, you know, around the world. Of course. And what was the timeline on, so everyone sees, oh, of course, he has a big giant, like there's the eye roll that comes with, he has a big giant social media following, and he probably just like thought this up one day, and then, you know, like three days later, he has this Kickstarter campaign. Can you give me the timeline on it? And it's still, and when does the first issue hit so that we have a good idea of like, this is the trajectory of the good newspaper? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really funny because I am a very spontaneous person. Um, if, if I were on autopilot, I would never get anything done because I just like to jump from one thing to another. Um, and so I feel like I've become a lot more of a healthy person. Uh, and so I'm able, I'm learning at least how to maybe carry things through a whole process of, of ideation all the way through implementation. Um, but I will say that the good newspaper was uh, a little bit more spontaneous than people assume in some ways. I think I really felt uh, a compulsion to create the good newspaper in November of last year and uh, and just kind of mold around with the idea until around January. Um, and in January, I just started floating the idea to some friends. I started saying, hey, what if I did this? Oh, what if there was something like this in the world? And uh, the feedback that I got was uh, way more excited than I expected. I expect, you know, normally when, I don't know about you, but when I float ideas around, I uh, normally people are like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's awesome. Probably because I'm giving too many ideas out. Like, I'm just like <laughs> I constantly throwing stuff out so people are just kind of annoyed. <laughs> uh, yeah. But people were like, really like, oh my gosh, you got to do this. Can I be a part of it? Can I help? 
Um, and I think when people want to, when people ask to help you do work, um, I think that's how you know that you're kind of onto something. And so uh, from there, I started just assembling a team, bringing all this together. We launched the Kickstarter campaign in, I guess, March. And then uh, the the actual paper is uh, going to print in two weeks is the goal. So uh, by the first week of June. And uh, and so this is a pretty quick turnaround. Um, but at the same time, I would say that the trajectory of actually being able to bring this to life was a lot longer in that I've spent years, uh, honestly, ever since I, I first started learning how to, you know, run a business in high school from you, uh, building an audience and, and curating my voice and really honing in on a niche to communicate and uh, the the message that I've always tried to put out in the world is just this idea uh, that people's stories matter, that empathy is key, and that... Uh, and that we can all have some sort of impact in the world. And that's totally changed over the course of years. You know, when I first started, it was me saying that to high school seniors who I was photographing their senior portraits. And, you know, my thought process was, you know, what a cool time to celebrate people, to photograph them, uh, and to share their story in a meaningful way. And that was the message I put out in the world. Years down the road, it became uh, me traveling internationally, shooting photos for a lot of nonprofits, saying, these people who live in different parts of the world that maybe I don't understand or maybe even I somehow have this preconception that I disagree with them or something, their story still matters. And, and when I show up, I, I learn that people are more similar than they are different, and the differences that we do have, we get to celebrate and learn from each other. And, and then in the last year, two years, I've really focused on this idea of there's a lot more good in the world than we pay attention to. And I think that that good needs to be celebrated. And so I started really leaning into that when I launched uh, my podcast, Sounds Good, with Brandon Harvey, which is just conversations with hopeful, inspiring people who are making a difference in the world. And then, um, and then I also launched, kind of out of a sense of curiosity, a newsletter, an email newsletter, it goes out every single Tuesday called the Good Newsletter. And uh, it sounds like the Good Newspaper, very clever of us. Um, uh, but, <laughs> so clever. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, but the the goal with that was just like, what if, what if there is a lot of good news in the world? Like, what if every week I, I worked really hard to find it, collect it, and then share it for the sake of, celebrating it so that maybe we could become it. And and that process was crazy. And so I think a lot of the success of our Kickstarter campaign that launched the Good Paper that, I mean, we, like, doubled. We, like, doubled our goal, which is insane. Um, I think a lot of that came from the years of, of work on the back end more than anything. Like, that's what I keep on thinking about is um, how how the community that I just feel like I resonate with and, and and really connect with and have a relationship with at this point after years and years and years, they 
came together, and that blows my mind. Yeah, in a really beautiful way. Um, what has been your favorite part of bringing the whole good newspaper to fruition? Because I would imagine that you um, probably didn't have a whole lot of experience with, like, printing presses and all of that stuff prior to – I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but no, like no. There's a, no, you're, like you're, you're 100% physical right. <laughs> Um, what's been your favorite part of that, and then what's been the the hardest or the most challenging part? So both sides of that coin of bringing it into the world. Man, such a good question. I, I think I think that the craziest thing is that this is a physical product. I've never made something real in my life. In fact, everything I've ever created has been really ephemeral. You know, for a few years, my main job was being a professional Snapchatter, which is genuinely the most ephemeral thing in the world you know I won like I was nominated for some awards for like Snapchat of the year for the shorty awards and stuff uh which is like hilarious but genuinely my job (laughs) was to create things that 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 disappear and it's like so sad that I had like years of content that uh that nobody can ever see again it's just it's gone and uh this is a thing that will sit on coffee tables and uh, live in people's homes, and if we want to edit something, we it's not possible. And so that whole process uh, is insane, but also incredibly refreshing to bring something real to the world that people can hold and touch. Um, but then there's all the logistics that go along with that. Like, how do we mail this to people? Mailing is the most expensive part of this entire newspaper. How do we uh, make sure that we print the right number of papers? How do we... Um, make sure that we're working with the right supplier. So that whole process is so outside of my uh, mental playing field, and it's been really tricky but uh, but really fascinating to dive into. And then I would say that the other thing that is is maybe on the same on the same lines, really refreshing but also difficult, is putting together a team. You know, it's been a process of um, of bringing together people who can actually make this paper happen because I can't do it on my own. You know, I just don't possess the skills to design and write and manage and advertise and interview, like to do all these things and put it into a paper. And so I've got a team of of a handful of people who uh, we've been just like going back and forth over Slack and Skype and everything like crazy over the last few months bringing this thing to life and I'm learning, you know, what my flaws are as a manager and how I uh, don't do well communicating and, and, and what my strengths are and how I can lean into those and how I can bring in other people to make up for my weaknesses. And so I think that that's been incredibly fascinating and interesting. Um yeah, so so I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've been experiencing is is kind of the both end. It's it's incredibly difficult. Like every day, I'm just exhausted and confused and overwhelmed. But I'm also honestly, I'm I'm just proud that I'm able to do some of this stuff um, because I don't know. I think I think that I think that's the joy of, of creating something is is finding out that you can create it. Yeah, it is in some way. So I want to back up just a moment to, to the the yeah. vast contrast between 
uh, Shorty's nominated for Snapchatter of the Year. (laughs) And then then the good newspaper. And um, how do you, like, so I make a lot of stuff, and it brings me comfort to know that they exist in the world, even if it's just on my hard drive or something. How do you, or how did you make peace with such an ephemeral, um, almost like the monks that make mandalas out of sand and then just wipe them away. Like to do that as mm. a profession, but to call yourself a creative and then be like, well, what did you make? They're like, well, you can't see it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now. Um, how, did, how did that work? How did you make peace with that? Talk, just talk more about the such an ephemeral thing and such a like didn't exist for thousands of years thing. Um, we, we didn't have that yeah. and now we do. So tell me about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was so I was fortunate enough to um, to kind of just grow an audience on Snapchat in a really bizarre and random way, um, really early on in, in the platform. And so I really took to using it as a tool to tell stories. I in fact, I just kind of at first I really dismissed Snapchat. I thought that it was such a stupid idea. Why would you need something to disappear unless you're like sexting or something? Like I'm like I'm I'm fine. Like I don't I don't necessarily need this thing. And then it, they came out with the stories tool, and I was like, okay, I'm 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 getting close to being interested. Like I love storytelling. Um, I wonder what I can do here. And so I just started to challenge myself to create something new on the platform every single day, and. I'd actually always been interested in filmmaking, but just never had the time with all of my travel and photography to invest in it. It takes so much time to edit and to process and to import. Like, the whole the whole ordeal is pretty rough. And all of a sudden, Snapchat was kind of like when I would shoot video with a camcorder when I was a kid, where uh, every time that you wanted to do a new scene, you would just, like, film it. And then if it didn't work, you would rewind the tape and then you'd film over that, and you'd do everything in order on the tape, uh, and then you could, like, put it into your VCR, and you could watch the whole movie you made with your, like, five or six scenes in order, because you filmed it in order. You didn't have to do any editing. You just recorded it in little chunks. And and I like that. I like that uh, even though it's maybe a little bit more difficult because I have to do everything in order and, and plan things out, I could uh, tell some really compelling and fun and playful stories um, fairly easily. And so I, uh, I I really leaned into it and did it every single day for 100 days. And over that 100 days, I, I gained tens of thousands of followers. And, uh, and at first, I was actually really sad when I gained a lot of followers because the thing is, I gained I, – I, I remember. I, I remember one of the days that was uh, – that I saw the huge spike in my audience. You know, somebody, a huge account had kind of shouted me out because they'd seen my work. And, uh, and, I, and I thought, and I was like, man, last week I made the best story of my life, and none of these thousands and thousands of people will ever get to see it. Um, oh. Just, you know, a few hundred people got to see it. And so that was, like, really sad to think about. Um, but at the same time, it was so incredibly motivating from a creative standpoint, to think, well, these people have never seen anything from me in their life. They followed me blindly without ever seeing anything from me, just based off of somebody's word. So I've got to show them what I'm capable of. 
And so it challenged me to constantly be creating something better because every day new people showed up to see what I was creating and they had no idea what I was capable of. And, and so I couldn't rely on my past work. I could only rely on my future work. And so it really taught me about uh, this idea of kind of not, not just like treading water or not just relying on past successes to carry me through. I don't think that that momentum is very long-lasting. And so it's, it's, it, I think that was a really refreshing thing. Um, but, it, but it really is difficult to, to think about stuff going away. Um, I guess the other side of that, though, is every single day I, I try to share Instagram photos or, you know, a lot of people share blog posts. And while those have a little bit longer of a shelf life, it's, it's still pretty rare to, like, dive back into, like, an old Instagram. You know, it's like I don't remember the last time that, um, that I, like, went back to find an old Instagram that I loved from somebody from, like, a year ago. So there is a shelf life to everything. You know, blog posts, aside from, like, SEO stuff and things showing back up on social media, you know, those have a shelf life of, you know, maybe a little bit longer than 24 hours like Snapchat, but it goes away. And so, um, you know, even our newspapers, we, we did some test prints um, about three months ago, and, uh, and the test prints are already kind of turning a little bit yellow, which I actually think is, like, a little bit cool. Like, I think it looks really awesome. But, you know, even the thing that's physical and real, uh, that's going to go away at some point. And so I can't just rely on that. I've got to keep on moving forward, keep on focusing on what's the next thing I can create, what's the next thing that I can bring into the world. Yeah, that, um, that sounds amazing and also exhausting. So how do you stay? Oh my gosh. Um, how do you stay? What fills you up? How do you stay a healthy human being, not one who's just consumed every day by screens and Snapchat and social media and all the things you're bringing into the world, which are worthwhile, but my God, there's so many of them. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, I, it's definitely been a process. Like it is, it has not been easy. Um, I think that the biggest thing for me has been learning more about self-awareness. So I've just been really trying to understand myself and what my life is like on autopilot because we all have an autopilot. And I think that we all have a little bit of a different autopilot, but left unchecked and unconscious, we veer into a mode that uh, is, I don't want to say unhealthy, but like sub-healthy. It's just a little bit, it's not quite us operating at our best. And so for me, in my self-awareness, I've learned that left unchecked, I would be constantly consuming. Like every single day, every single hour, I would be, uh, I would have headphones in, I'd be listening to podcasts, I'd be watching videos, I would be reading, like I'd never give myself time to think. And, uh, and, and I've survived like that for years, just constantly putting stuff in my brain. And, and if I'm honest, it's probably so that I don't have to, like, hear myself think, and I, so that I can avoid conflict or pain or struggle. And that's fine and good for a time, but I think that uh, I think that good things that you bring to the world, true art, true creativity, 
comes from some of that conflict and some of those struggles and, and, and that pain that is in those off moments, or at least for me, because that's something that I probably struggle with more so. And, and I think the art comes from the struggle. And so I've been learning to take time to unplug, unplug from um, my audience so that I'm not constantly feeling weighed down by, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, you know, unplug from uh, consumption so that it, it fights comparison, it fights um, overwhelming my senses. Um, and then like this morning, I woke up really early. Oftentimes, I, I like to start my day with a podcast, um, which uh, speaking out loud, I'm like, oh, that's probably not super healthy for, for what I need to be doing. But today I was like, you know, I'm just going to go on a run. And I went on a run, um, put on some instrumental music, and, and okay, and one Miley Cyrus song. And, um, and <laughs> just, course. like, enjoyed it. Yeah, it's her new song, Malibu, so good. Um, yes, it is. But, uh, <laughs> but I went on the run, and I was, like, able to process and think and, and move through some ideas, and, and it grounded me. And so I can't say that I'm perfect at this by any means. I still have a long ways to go. Um, but I think that becoming more self-aware and then uh, trying to take myself off the autopilot every once in a while has been incredibly helpful um, for all of this, for the Snapchat, for the newspaper, uh, the whole process. Yeah, seems good. Um, something that stuck out to me, because I don't think the vast majority of people will never have the problem, but I want to talk a little bit more about it, which is um, unplugging from your audience and the weight of hundreds of thousands of people. How does that um, how does that affect you? How do you carry that? How does that play out? And how have you learned to to deal with that? Because you, you're not a Kardashian. You didn't start out that way. You started out with zero <laughs> like everyone else. Um, how did you learn to handle that weight as as time has gone on? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think a really important question, uh, you just said, you know, a lot of people won't deal with it. But I actually think that um, – I think that a lot of people will, and, and maybe not to the extent that I have, and certainly not to the extent that uh, the Kardashians have, but I think that the trajectory of the Internet with kind of the democratization of ideas and thoughts is allowing for, I think, I think that, you know, if we were to think about, like, big celebrities in the past, we have people like, Marilyn Monroe, who was just everybody knew who she was. Everybody knew her name. Um, just she was the epitome of a celebrity. Um, today, we have very few people like that. Um, I think maybe a, a Taylor Swift would be a close one. You know, politicians are probably um, close ones. But, but the reality is that there's no celebrities who appeal to everybody anymore because everybody can find their own person that they admire. And so um, – I think that we're all going to become like tiny little micro Marilyn Monroe's where instead of a billion people knowing who she is, um, you know, we all have a few thousand people who know who we are. And, and sure, some of those people are our friends or our family, but there will always be the strangers. And, and so the, the reality is uh, that we'll all kind of have some of that experience to some extent, 
um, and especially as we move forward and um, the Internet just continues to do uh, what it does. Um, but it's been a real process having an, an audience. It's, it's been really interesting, um, and I'm incredibly thankful for it. Like, I and, – and, again, I don't want to, like, keep on, like, tooting your horn, but I'm, I'm going to. I think that uh, you early on really – when I was I was reading, you know, a lot from you about like how to kind of connect with an audience and how to uh, really bring together a community. Um, I think I think that's I think that's where a lot of uh, my early ideas came from because I started building out an audience, um, sharing the things that I was creating when I was in high school, and it certainly wasn't a big audience, but it was it, it, there were some strangers in there. Um, I was doing that on Twitter and on Flickr and on Facebook. And as time went on, I was able to build a bigger and bigger audience. And I think one of the big things I can attribute to that is choosing to be vulnerable online, choosing to, to share not just the high moments in my life, but some of the low moments. And, uh, and I did that because I just genuinely wanted to connect with my community that I was building uh, and I think I've learned through the process that we connect far more with people's weaknesses than their strengths. We'll always connect more with people's failures than their triumphs. And so uh, I think that's been a big reason why my audience has grown. But it's a double-edged sword, too, because um, when you've got a lot of people who feel a close connection um, a, a lot of conversations can end up feeling really heavy. And uh, did you listen to the uh, to the Missing Richard Simmons podcast? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. did. Yeah. Um, so so I actually didn't, but there's this really good article uh, in NPR uh, or by NPR that uh, that dove into that podcast and kind of. Uh, the unique nature of Richard Simmons and how he, um, for years and years and years, he was completely available to people. He, you know, if somebody's like, hey, I'm going through a hard time, like, he would show up for them. He would hop on phone calls with people. He would he would have long conversations with people. And then, you know, the reason the podcast exists is because just one day that stopped and, and people just stopped hearing from him and they were like, what happened to Richard Simmons? And uh, this this article on NPR talks about um, the weight of having an audience and uh, and the things that people say to you. Um, and so they use some examples, like Richard Simmons um, would get, you know, some people's comments saying things like, they're not comments, they're like letters or phone calls or people walking up to him on the streets. They'd be saying things like, Richard, I wouldn't be alive today without you. And if you ever stop doing what you're doing, I don't know if I could still keep on living. And yeah. that's a heavy that's a heavy comment. Uh, and that person isn't meaning to, to add that weight to Richard Simmons, but it's uh it's a really, really um it it it's it's not an easy thing to handle. And and so the author of this article said that um, that's a comment written on a boulder. 
And uh, and Richard Simmons, when he was given those boulders for years and years and years, he would uh, he would carry those boulders and he would hold on to them and and he would try to do what he could with them. Um, and then there's another kind of comment uh, that that's written on, on feathers or on paper that's basically like, Richard, thank you for what you've done. I really appreciate it. It's past tense. It's like what you've done is already enough for me. It, it means a lot. Thank you. Um, and, and since I read that article a few weeks ago, I've been thinking a lot about that. I don't deal with that at all to the extent that Richard Simmons did. Um, but I think that it's, a really interesting thing to think about in the in that when you have an audience, um, it can feel overwhelming at times uh, when people place expectations on you, um, and some of those expectations are fair. You know, like people, some people's expectations are that I'm going to mail them a newspaper in a few weeks, and I will live up to that expectation. Uh, but some expectations are um, are more implicit. It's you know, don't stop doing this because I need it. Um, and and it's something that comes with the territory, but it's also um, a really interesting thing. And so uh, I've been learning how to just not ground myself in my audience or uh, in my influence or the work that I do and try to ground myself in the people that truly know me and uh I've kind of given permission to speak into my life. I try to um, ground myself in uh, the things that are are more tangible in my life than the things that are intangible, like numbers and um, kind of the ether that is an audience. And so, um, yeah, I guess all that to say, it's complex. It's really tricky. And, again, I feel like self-awareness is kind of the key. Um, I don't think anybody's figured out what it's like to have an audience on the Internet. Um, I think that there's no rule book for this, and everybody's just trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how to, how to be healthy and not cross lines. And, and that's certainly what I'm trying to do, is just be aware and, and, and process through these things and, and try to be healthy for the sake of myself and my family uh, but also from my audience, because I really do want to give them something meaningful and helpful. And if I'm just constantly burnt out or overwhelmed or carrying these big boulders, I'm not able to do that for anybody. Um, and so I'm just trying to lean into uh, help where I can and, and be aware of the times that I can't. Yeah, it sounds like a, a tricky balance because – um, you do get I'm like thinking of my inbox and I'm like, oh, you do get boulders, and then you're like, I don't want to pick that up, thank you. So, but you um, like it, it's it's a tricky balance, and uh, you are you are wise, which brings me to um, the fact that you are uh, not old. So, <laughs> do people do people call you a baby? Is my first question, and. Um, and the second question is, what is your advice for the people that are crushing it and doing amazing things, and they're under 30, and so somehow in, in the quote-unquote adult's eyes, um, that makes what they're doing less serious or less important or less mm. wise or whatever, because um, I'm sure that 
I'm sure that that happened because you were 17 and professionally photographing. Like that's like, oh, you're just, uh, and how do you, <laughs> how have you learned to reconcile the fact that people are going to write you off and you keep doing it anyway? And what do you have to say to those people that have been called babies or you're so young or you don't know or bless your heart yeah. or all of that, all of that stuff? How do you deal with that? Well, to start off, I will say that uh, though your listeners can't see me right now, I do look almost exactly like the emoji baby. I've got the little blonde curl. Uh, I've got the little blue eyes. I look like the little white emoji baby. So, yes, I, uh, I, I do get called a baby, uh, mostly for that reason. Um, <laughs> I, um, I think – I think this is something else that I've tried to be really intentional about. I remember when I was 16 or 17 and I started shooting photos professionally and I started connecting with other people who were doing really ambitious, great work so young. And um, and I saw some of them really leaning into their age uh, from a publicity standpoint. And, uh, and they would be like, I'm a 16-year-old photographer, and that's what makes me wonderful, and you should hire me, which I think is a, I think it's wonderful. I think it's a really good idea um, to kind of lean into that strength. But I chose not to go that route at all. My thought process was if I kind of brand myself around my age, well, one day my age will change. One day I'll be 30, and, uh, and I'll just be a photographer, and I won't be the young photographer anymore. And, you know, for him it was just a novelty. You know, people would be like, oh, I hired this 16-year-old kid. He's so talented. But, like, that's the talking point. And I would rather people have the talking point be uh, something else. You know, I hired this photographer. He's so talented. Uh, he tells stories amazingly. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what it was. But my, my, I knew that I didn't want to brand myself around being young. And so for years, I actually never told anybody my age. If somebody asked me my age, I would never lie, but I'd be like, yes. And then I'd be like, yeah, you're close, you know. I just never really, like, owned up to it. And certainly online, I never shared my age. And I just started sharing my age a few years ago. Um, I, I'm 24 now. And, uh, and still, I, that feels, like, too young to be doing some of this stuff. Um, but it's, it's – yeah, it's certainly a tricky thing because I do get people who kind of look down on me for my age, um, and and I don't know what to do about that. You know, it's just uh, I I hope to not do the same when I'm older, um, but I but I understand. I understand the thought process, and so I just try to really um, over communicate my experience when I'm in, like, meetings or when I'm uh, meeting somebody who I can tell the age is a qualifying factor for them. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the work that I've done or the brands that I've partnered with or um, the, the processes that I take my work through and, and, and how seriously I take the things that I do. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, think that, I think that's kind of the core of what I do. But I would say it is so fun to to think about being so young um and and i mean i haven't really i wouldn't say that i'm a professional snapchatter anymore like i still have probably the same audience size but i just 
I don't do it as much. I'm focused much more on the newspaper and stuff. And um, it's cool to think about the success that I had on Snapchat a few years ago and how that was just one story in my life and, and it isn't the peak of my life. And so it's really, I think it's really fun for me to, to do things that I'm really proud of and, and feel like they took all of my strength and all of my work and all of my hustle and then they, like it, it feels good to, to do all of that and then realize I still have years left in my life to beat that. Like I can continue to top it. And and so that's I think that's the upside is is that one day the successes I have you know I've I've had in my twenties my hope is that those will pale in comparison to the things that I build in my thirties and that'll happen again in my forties and again in my fifties um, mm-hmm. and and so I, I guess that's it but it's. It's tricky. I would say for other people who are young and, and, and creative and, and, and hustling on something, find other people like you. Find other people who are young and trying to figure stuff out. Uh, there's a lot of people in the world who are doing that, and it's so good to, uh, to have conversations and talk with them. Um, don't feel like you're competing with anybody because uh, you're just competing with yourself and, and the alliances and relationships and, and friendships that you build along the way will serve you for years. Like, it's so cool to think about when I was 16 and I connected, there's, uh, there's four photographers in particular that I really connected with on a Flickr. Five, okay, five, um, that I connected with, and we were all 15, 16, doing photography work. We're all still connected. We're all kind of in similar industries. One works for um, Visco, uh, the editing company, and, and yeah, it course. is so fun that, like, we work together in that kind of capacity of, like, oh, cool, like, how can I help you guys out? One other friend is a super talented photographer in uh, Texas, and I admire her work so much and love to get to share it. It's really meaningful and, and makes a difference in the world. Um, another photographer um, uh, we got married kind of at the same age, and so it's been really nice to um, kind of learn from each other about what it's like to be young and married and doing work that we're proud of. And then one other person, I just remembered this. Um, I admired his work so much. I uh, I I followed him for years. Um, one day he retweeted a girl. I thought that this girl was super cute. Um, I hit the follow button. Now that girl is my wife. Um, super random. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, like, I met my wife through this random photographer friend that I just, we started following each other because he, uh, she was also my age and shooting photos. And, like, I don't know. So you never, that's, I'm not telling you that if you're young and doing stuff and, and connecting with people, you're going to uh, you, meet your future partner. But uh, but I did, and it's uh, <laughs> I like it. it. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's it's so funny. But yeah, I would say lean on other people and uh, and don't be afraid to go after the things you want to do. I 
like it. Can you tell us a story um, from your childhood that would let us see the person you've become as an adult? That's like, oh, there he is. That's that's what's happening right there. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a really good question. I uh, when I was fifteen, I that's when I first started to get into photography, and I was so. Uh, like so blown away to find a mentor early on who uh, kind of took me underneath her wing and taught me photography, but also you know how to run a, a photography business and how to use my platform to give back to people and 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 then of course all the nitty gritty, how to edit photos, what different lenses did, and um, how to use a flash, you know all these things, um, but through the whole process, she she really did, she taught me about the kind of more intangible things. And I remember one time she invited me out to do uh, a, a photo shoot for uh, this single mom who otherwise just would not have been able to afford uh, photos of her and her kids. And uh, it was such a cool, life-giving experience to use my unique strengths and abilities at the time, um, which was photography and probably conversation to uh, mm-hmm. to make a difference in somebody's life. And, you know, it's not the biggest thing in the world. It's not like I was, like, feeding this person. Um, but it was, it was me doing what I could. And I think I've taken that idea through the years and, and tried to say, how can I use the unique platform and talents and abilities and passions I have to make a difference in a way that nobody else can. You know, I've been invited by a lot of nonprofits to do a lot of things. Last year, a nonprofit said, Brandon, why don't you come out to this really cool country? We'll build a house together. And at first, I was like, oh, cool. Like, I love traveling. Like, that sounds great. Um, it'll be yeah. kind of a workout. Maybe I'll get, like, really strong or, or <laughs> or something. But then I realized, so like, I, I didn't even – yeah, I would, I would love to be buff. But um, uh, the – the the thing about that is that I have no ability to build things. Like, that is not in my wheelhouse. And it would, like, if I'm going to spend a few thousand dollars or if the organization's going to spend a few thousand dollars to fly me out somewhere, like, why don't we just spend that few thousand dollars and hire somebody who lives locally to build this thing? Like, I don't think that I need to do that. Whereas my friend Colin, who is my roommate growing up, or my roommate in college, he's an architect. He understands the construction process, the building process. He can go and he can show up and he can make a huge impact with his unique skills and abilities and passions. Uh, Whereas Mm. for me, that's not me leaning into my strengths to make a difference. And so um, I think that moment early on taught me, hey, what if I could use the things that are unique to me to do something in the world? And, And that's in a lot of ways what I think of the good newspaper and my podcast and my newsletter as is an opportunity for me to use my weird years of, of history and backstory, you know, my, my weird connection to celebrity through Snapchat and uh, my background running a business with photography and uh, my heart for making a difference in the world and, um, and, and trying to step in um, against, like, injustice, you know, how can I bring all of these things to the table um, and 
and I and I hope that I'm creating something that only I could create. I mean, I hope that it's making a difference in people's lives in a way that only I can. And then my mm-hmm. only hope would be that all of that would inspire other people to do the same and use their unique talents and abilities and passions and relationships and platforms to create something that matters to the world and that makes a difference in the world. That's beautiful and wise. Um, How would all this storytelling change you as a human? I would say... We look at you at 15 and we look at you now. um, What is all this people's stories moving through you and your stories moving through you too? How has that shaped you as a human? I think it's continued to build a sense of empathy, which I think has become one of the most inspiring characteristics in another person is their amount of empathy. And so I'm pursuing that in my own life. But I think the amount of stories I've gotten to tell and the amount of stories I've gotten to consume has really inspired me to 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 empathize and, and understand what other people's lives are like and, and really put myself in other people's shoes, not in a way that's sympathy, which is uh, kind of looking down and, and understanding somebody, but empathy, which is like being there and being present and, and feeling and experiencing things with people. I'm not even close to a percent of where I'd like to be or even close to a percent of some of the people that I uh, talk to on my podcast or interview for the paper. Um, But that's the trajectory that I think storytelling has taken me down. And uh, the more empathetic I become, I think the better my stories become. And so it's this really cool cycle that uh, I think I've become addicted to and have really fallen in love with, uh, even though really I've got a, a long way to go. Oh yeah, we all do, but that's a that's a good pursuit, a good healthy, solid pursuit. <laughs> um, what what brings you the most? You strike me as an incredibly hopeful person, and so what brings you the most hope uh, for the world at this very moment? Hmm, I would say. I, over the last few months, I've become super interested in uh, in data. I, I, every single week, I, I share these five hopeful stories from around the world in the good newsletter, and it really gets me to pay attention to the good that's happening in the world, even when it feels like things are burning down or falling apart or there's more division and fear than ever. And uh, And some of the most motivating stuff has just been data, to, to look at the world and say, oh, my gosh, well, there's a lot of aspects of the world that are broken, and there's a lot of injustices that have yet to be um, made just. There is a huge, significant trajectory towards good in the world. And if you had to be born, like, at any time in the world without knowing your gender, nationality, orientation, um, religion, anything, you would hands down choose 2017. And there's all kinds of data. Like last year or last week, I just shared a story in the good newsletter that people with HIV are living 10 years longer than they used to. Um, and and so now most people with HIV, um, especially in 
the United States and stuff, are, are dying from things that aren't HIV. They're dying from, um, from you know, the things that normal people die from. Um, and that's incredible. That's inspiring. You know, women's education is up around the world, and that uh, bumps up, you know, national GDPs and uh, all kinds of fancy statistics because, like, women are amazing. Um, it, uh, the, you know, there's less uh, deaths from war now than at almost any time in history. Um, the amount of uh, violent crime is down in the United States. You know, looking at all these numbers and statistics is so, like, inspiring and helpful to be like, wow, like, the work we've been doing for years actually makes a difference. And, and it doesn't mean that we get to, like, let up on the gas. Like, it just means that we can, like, full-on, like, zoom forward. And uh, and so I think that's really, really cool. And then, you know, you've got these statistics, these big uh, numbers. But, but when you're looking at, at, at millions and millions of people in a spreadsheet, you, you do lose that ability to empathize. You can be like, wow, this is a cool number. But what I love doing is, you know, is thinking about one specific person when I look at this data. So, um, you know, with uh, HIV, people living 10 years longer, I think back to when I was in Rwanda with uh, the incredible organization RED, um, and I was learning about HIV and AIDS and the amazing work that RED and the Global Fund have done in uh, Rwanda. And so I was about to see Whew. Woo, that's amazing. Um, I was in Rwanda learning about the incredible work that Red and the Global Fund are doing to fight AIDS in some countries in Africa, and I got to know specific people, and, and I could, like, close my eyes and see their faces and hear their stories of, of uh, you know, mothers who, uh, who were HIV positive and their children were born without HIV, which is, like, incredible that drugs can do that. Uh, and that these mothers, because of, like, the amazing new drugs that they're taking, they're going to, like, live to, to see their grandchildren and potentially even their great-grandchildren. Like, I know it's going to make a difference in this one person's life, and then I get to just multiply that by the millions and millions and millions of people in that data. And so um, I guess <laughs> to, to answer your question, there's a lot that's giving me hope because there's a lot to be hopeful about even when – it doesn't feel like the reality. And also, what's, what's maybe even more helpful than seeing the success that we've already had is seeing people who are motivated by the things that aren't hopeful. You know, where's the injustice? Where's the brokenness? How can I step in and, and be a part of the solution? That's the most hopeful thing, seeing more and more people, I feel like this year more than ever, saying, how can I make a difference? How can I step in and play a role? That's really exciting. That is. It's beautiful. So if we want to come and uh, follow and subscribe and give you dollars and all that good stuff, where do we start with your work? <laughs> and then with any podcast um, that has more than about 10 episodes, like, oh, God, I can't, where do I, where do I begin? So do you have a favorite episode as well to, to start people off in the direction of hope and goodness? Oh, my goodness. Such a good question. I So you can find everything about the podcast and the newsletter and the newspaper in one place 
uh, my company that we launched around the same time as the uh, newspaper is called Good, 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 because uh, it holds Sounds Good, the Good Newsletter, the Good Newspaper. Again, super original idea. Good, Good, Good. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's at goodgoodgood.co. Um, and so you can totally check out goodgoodgood.co. Check out the podcast, newsletter, newspaper. Um, if you subscribe pretty fast, you'll be still one of the first people to uh, to get the newspaper, which is really fun. As far as the podcast goes, one of our most – I think it is our, our most popular episode ever is a conversation with Jedediah Jenkins. Jedediah um, was uh, one of the original folks who uh, ran the organization Invisible Children, which uh, really brought light to the terrible things happening uh, in Africa through the LRA. And, um, and he, uh, I think that the organization really motivated an entire generation of people, my generation, to want to make a difference in the world because they figured out that they actually could. Invisible Children gave people the tools uh, to contact the representative, you know, as a, as a 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-old, um, and, and say, this is something I care about. And then it actually made a difference. You know, it actually had an impact. Um, what a cool, motivating thing. But Jedediah was one of the kind of people who made that organization come to life. Um, but more recently, he biked all the way from Oregon to Patagonia. So basically all the way down North America and then all the way down South America to the very tip, um, almost to Antarctica, on a bicycle um, over the course of months. And he just thinks about the world so beautifully, so incredibly. I have a lot of admiration for this guy. It is one of our most popular episodes. So I would say check that one out because uh, I love it and other people seem to like it. Uh, but then dive through and pick out one or two from somebody you've never heard of um, because uh, while we've got some some names that, that people will definitely recognize, um, everybody's on the show for a reason. And we've got some incredible uh, people that I've been so proud to talk to. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I'm totally going to, just because I wonder, um, your favorite book at the moment and your favorite podcast at the moment because I feel like you consume – a lot of stuff, and then, like, what's the good stuff? Oh, my gosh. That's such a good question. I – let me – am I allowed to just pick, like, three podcasts? Because I'm going to have a yeah. hard time narrowing it down. Um, okay, I love – my three favorite podcasts right now are um, are Reply All by Gimlet. It's a show about the Internet, and it is so good. Um, I love this show, Flash Forward. It is a show about possible futures. Uh, and it, every oh. single episode, it, it brings experts in to dream about what the future could look like. Sometimes it's like, what would happen if a giant volcano exploded? But also it's like, what would happen if all of a sudden we all had the ability to understand everybody's language? What would that do for us as a culture? You know, that's a really fun show. Mm. And then... This is a super dorky, geeky one. This is a show called Dear Hank and John that is uh, from two really popular, well-respected YouTubers, Hank Green and John Green, the creators of VidCon, and John Green wrote The Fault in Our Stars, um, among other books. 
And yeah, these two amazing. brothers, they're incredible. They're like two of my favorite people that I admire the most. Um, and their podcast is this perfect balance of absolute fluffy garbage that is completely meaningless but so entertaining, and then the most meaningful, important conversations coming from a place of, of wisdom and science and data. And uh, the way that they bring those things together is so refreshing and inspiring to me. Um, and that's kind of something that I dream of being for um, my audience and for myself um, and for the people around me. And so those are three things I love. And then I – this is super funny and bizarre, uh, but I've been rereading – or actually just reading – the book 1984, George Orwell's 1984. And um, and as I started reading it, I, I, was, I thought that I was reading Fahrenheit 451, and I was like, man, when when are we going to find out that this guy's a firefighter? And then, uh, <laughs> and then he never became a firefighter, and I got like a third of the way to the book, and I was like, oh, wait, I've never read this before. And so uh, I, I, I think it's been really fun to just read kind of a classic, timeless, um, book that everybody knows, and uh, and I thought that I knew, but I'm just like coming into it with a totally fresh perspective. Um, and it's just it's a fantastic book, and it's a it's uh, as somebody who's like really optimistic and hopeful, um, it, it's maybe uh, it's maybe healthy for me to read um, something that uh, that puts a, a tiny bit of of cynicism into the world in a beautiful way for the sake of. Uh, of of kind of finding this balance and finding, um, you know, everything can't always just be uh, all ha- ha- like happy and hunky dory. I really want to uh, to make sure that my uh, my hope and optimism is coming from a meaningful place. And so sometimes it's nice to to double check myself against something like uh, 1984. I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's fair. Uh, sadly, we are out of time. But is there anything else that you just you think I should have asked, or that you would just like to say to people, or otherwise just kind of close? You have the floor. Oh my gosh, Kristen, I'm just so thankful that we got to talk today. I think it's, uh, I I just think it's so serendipitous and 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 maybe even poetic that. Uh, we're getting to have this conversation because I've admired you for so long. I've uh, I've learned so much from you, and uh, and I continue to learn from you. And uh, and so it's it's just it's really fun. And also, oh my gosh, congratulations on uh, on quitting Facebook. I am incredibly excited for you and and very jealous. I think uh, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> It might not be seem so fantastic, but uh, at some point. But for right now, it seems very, very necessary. So, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, this is this is just a mutual admiration society at this point. Um, I can't wait to see what you do next, and I can't wait for my good newspaper to arrive because it's going to be so good. Ah, um, thank you, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'm going to get back to to work on that today. I'm uh, we're doing final edits as we speak. Amazing. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you so much, Kristen. Have an awesome day. 
Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The Antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format. One gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now. And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.